Amen. We'll go ahead and have a seat. Um, just want to reiterate a little bit. You know, we talked about these boxes up here. You know, we uh, here at Common Ground, we really want to be a community of worship. You know, a lot of times you come to church and you think that, that the spectators are out here and the worshipers are up here and you watch us worship. But really, we want to be a, a church and we believe we're called to, to worship together. So really what we're doing is trying to facilitate your worship. But as you sing from the heart, what you are doing is worshiping and that's a, a fragrant aroma to God. But we have other ways that we want to worship and we want to respond. So if you'll notice over here in the corner, we have a some candles and a table and, and note, notes. Over here, there's a, another one. These are areas where anytime during the service, anytime, especially during the worship time after, that's kind of our response time, you can come up and write a prayer. You can write a prayer request. You can write a praise, and then you roll it up and you stick it in the chicken wire, um, and then we can grab that. And, and our prayer team looks at that. It's private, um, but that can be just between you and God. You put that there. Uh, the other way that we respond in worship is through giving. Common Ground doesn't need your money, but we as worshipers worship through giving. Jesus and, and all of the New Testament and the Old Testament are really clear that part of the way we worship is through giving. So we make that easy with the boxes up here and in the back also. But we're going to just encourage you also, if you need prayer, at the end during the close, other worship, there's going to be prayers up here that you can come to and they will pray with you, they will pray for you. Uh, so you are free in the service to engage in worship. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you are so worth our worship. You are worth our lives because you gave your life to purchase ours. And we are so grateful. We are so filled with joy, but also wonder when we consider you. And we are, we are thankful. Thank you for your patience. Please be with us this morning, Holy Spirit. We've been asking you to be here, that you would move, that you would be glorified in what we do, but that you would touch our hearts and our minds so that we would respond in the way that you would have us respond. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the 70s, there was a, uh, a four-year-old girl in Norway who was taken from her mother by her, her father. Now, it was obviously one of those difficult situations, and so dad kidnapped the child. Dad was not a great dad and took her to the U.S. Now, mom spent years and years looking for her daughter, and her daughter's name was Sarah, but she moved around in the U.S., and her name was changed several times, and she was a boy for a year, you know, trying to hide. Uh, she went through abuse. Uh, all these things happened to this, this poor girl. But think about the mother. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a parent that has lost a child, disappeared. What would you do to find them? What wouldn't you do to find them and to bring them back? Now, that story ends positively. She was finally found when she was in her teens, and she was reunited with her mother. But what if one of your children, and you can imagine, even if you don't have kids, even if you're still a kid, what if one of your children was taken, was lost, what wouldn't you do to find them? That's where we're picking up our story today, and we are that lost child. Every single one of us, every single human ever born is that lost child with a parent that loves them and wants them back. You're here on the second week of a series that, that we're going through the story, what we're calling the story. And this is the best story ever told. It's a true story, but it's the story that answers our deepest questions, our deepest concerns. Where did we come from? Where are we going? Why are we here? What does life mean? And is there life after death? And if so, how do you get there? All those questions are answered in this story. And maybe you know the story. It's the story found in the Bible. 
But even if you know it, I want you to listen to the story and think about even how you could tell the story to somebody else. If this story wasn't true, we would want it to be. This story is unlike any other religion out there. Every other religion out there tells you what you need to do to earn something. So there's a God that you have to get to. You have to earn something. Or, or God is a, an impersonal force, and you have to be good enough to become one with that personal force. Biblical Christianity tells the only true story of God reaching down to reach His people. That's the story we're telling, and that's where we're at. But kind of like if you watch TV shows, it's like previously on whatever. Well, previously on church. We... Uh, <laughs> We're going to cover what we were last week. We started at the beginning, the beginning of the story last week in Genesis. And we saw that God created everything with the word. The big thing that we looked at last week was the main character in the story is not Derek, is not you. The main character in the story is God. In the beginning, God created. He created with the word. We know he created through Jesus. We see that in John 1.1, that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. All things that were created were created through the Word. Nothing was created that wasn't created through the living Word, Jesus. And so he created everything with the Word. And at the end of his creation, he said, this is very good. We highlighted, he actually said, it's good, it's good, it's good. Then he created woman and he said, this is very good. That was his creation. He created very good. And he created us and we saw this. Why, do we, why are we here? So where do we come from? God created us. Why are we here? We saw three real reasons in Scripture why we are here. The first one was to work. God created us in His image to rule over the earth, to take care of it, to grow things, to take care of animals, to, to, to take care of the earth, to procreate, to fill the earth. So we were created to work, to take care of the earth. The second thing is we were created to glorify God. You and I exist, and every human has ever existed, to bring glory to God. That's the proper order of things. And then the third reason is we're created to be in relationship with God. Jesus said it very well when he said eternal life is this, that you know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. For eternity, we are going to be in relationship with God and with one another. That's next week, though. Next week, we're talking about heaven. You don't want to miss it. But so God created everything good. He created men and women in his image with a purpose. Beautiful. But then something happened. And we know it as the fall. And so I'm going to catch you up to date. So here's, here's creation. We looked at this last week. But God made. He spoke, and in one day he created the land. He created the seas, and he separated them. He created plants. And we, as we said last week, and we saw in Genesis, he created the trees with fruit on them. Apple trees with fully ripe fruit. Orange trees, fully ripe Citrus. Then he created animals. He created horses. Some think that's one of his best creations. <laughs> created dinosaurs. True story. He created floating elephants. Or, I'm sorry, this is a giraffe. <laughs> I need to go back to school. And then the pinnacle of his creation, he created man. And he created woman. So here's, here's creation. He created good. That's all right. They're, they're fine. <laughs> the, he created, look, pure, clean. But then, and as we saw last week, for, for it to be good and for relationships to work, we must have a choice. 
And so there must be some way to go outside of relationship with God in order for a relationship with God to be of real value, to be real love, and to really glorify Him. And so there was the tree. And He said, you can do anything you want, but you just cannot eat of that tree. And we know the story. They ate of the tree, and that brought in the curse. That's what we call the fall. And in the fall, not only... Where we affected, all of creation was affected. We saw in Romans that all of earth is groaning until he comes back and, and makes it right. But the earth is groaning because it's not the way it was supposed to be at the beginning. Sin impacted everything. And you see that, just one sin. And boom, it fills up all of creation. Maybe you need to stir it around. But it fills up all of creation. And so we, we ended last week with kind of, kind of the bad news that this is where we live right now. We live in a world that is tainted by sin. So why is there pain and suffering? Because of sin. Why is there cancer? Because of sin. Everything we, we see right now is tainted by sin. And the worst news is that everybody is separated from God because of their sin. God made us to be in relationship with Him because of sin. We are no longer able to be in relationship with Him. That's where we ended last week. But then we wonder... What has been happening since that first sin till now? Why would God create, continue to create and put people here? Or did God continue to create? And we know that he did. Psalm 139, 13 to 14, the psalmist says this. And by the way, this is in the same world we live in. He says, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So although this is the state of creation, every person born is still created in the image of God, is still valuable, every single one, valuable, knitted together by God for a purpose. And that's, but unfortunately, born into this situation. Now, we ask the question, Adam sinned, why do we suffer because of his sin? And in Romans 5.12, Paul says this, therefore... Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So we are all part of the fall. We are all part of the curse that has impacted all of creation and our own lives. Because of sin, every person ever born is eternally separated from God, and there is nothing they can do about it. One of those questions that people ask often is, are, are people inherently good or inherently bad? And I, I'm not really going to answer that question. I said, we are, we are made in God's image, every single one. But I would say we are inherently broken. We're not necessarily maybe good or bad, but we're broken, enslaved to sin. And, and so rather than, than eh, we're all generally good or eh, we're generally bad, we're always going to do bad, we're, we're broken. That in and of ourselves, we need to be fixed, and that's the situation that we're in. So now, let's, let's move to this week. Here's the situation. People are separated. Now go back to the idea of a child being lost. What wouldn't you do to find your child? God created us. Maybe this is why Timothy's getting emotional. God made us his sons and daughters, and then we're separated. What wouldn't a loving father do to reach us? We're going to be in Romans. Turn to Romans, please. Romans chapter 3. If you need a Bible, there's one in the cage in front of you or underneath you, and it's page 1042 in your Bible. But we saw last week 
that God knew what was going to happen. He wasn't surprised by our sin. He created good, but He wasn't surprised when we went wrong. He knew what was going to happen. And at the very beginning, in Genesis 3.15, He promised He was going to do something about it. If you remember when He was handing down the curse, part of it was pain and childbirth. For men, it was, it was the, the land was going to bring thistles and thorns, and so labor was going to be difficult. But there was another curse put on the serpent, which is Satan, a curse on Satan who tempted Eve to sin. And he said, with the woman and, and the snake, woman and Satan, that he, there's going to be somebody born from her, and he, Satan, is going to bruise his heel. That's just a little wound. But he is going to crush, Satan says. He's going to bruise his head. So right there, the father said, someday I'm going to do something to fix this. And it's going to hurt. There's going to be a bruise on the heel. We know this is Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is going to crush Satan's head. That's what we're looking at today. What happened later that God knew he was going to do from the beginning? Why do we celebrate Easter, the coming of Jesus? So here in Romans, we're in Romans 3. We're going to be starting in verse 21. This is the passage that Timothy already read. But just to set the stage, Paul is writing to a bunch of people who believed this. They believed God created good. They believed sin had tainted it. But they also believed something else. They believed that they could make it right through their own works. He was writing to people that believed the Jewish law, and they thought if they obeyed the Ten Commandments, you know, we know some of those, the, the Ten Commandments and other laws, then they could earn their way back to be right with God. And isn't that similar to how most Americans would believe? If you do a man on the street quiz, you ask, is there a heaven? 75% would say yes. I think it's more than that. 75% would say yes. You say, how do you get there? the majority would say, your good deeds outweigh your bad. It's about what you do. So Paul is writing to us, those who think by being good, law, or we could call it religion, through religion, we can fix this problem. That's what Paul is addressing. And he says this, beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. We're going to pause right there. We're only going through verse 26, but I want you to see the scene. So I already described us as broken and fallen, and here Paul is using the picture of a courtroom, of a judge and a guilty person. And so here we are in the courtroom. God is the judge, and, and what we need in order to be right with God is righteousness or justification. We need to be justified, and so that's the language he's using. So put yourself in that scene. You know, what does somebody on trial need? They need to be acquitted or justified, declared right, going, you are not guilty, you can go. That's what they need. We're in the courtroom. That's what we're hoping to hear from God is you are not guilty. This is in your notes. What every individual needs... For eternal life is to be declared right with God. What every individual needs for eternal life is to be declared right with God or righteous. Righteousness, as it's used here, is a judicial verdict. It means just or justified. Specifically here, it means to be in right standing with God. That's what it means to be back in right standing with God, which is the situation needed for eternal life and the relationship with God that we were made for. That's what's needed, is our righteousness. But here's the problem. We're in Romans 3. Skip back with me, please, to verse 10. 
It's probably one page over. And he says this, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Paul was writing to Jews who they thought they had a corner on God. They thought everybody else is sinners, but we have the law and we have the prophets, which actually was a huge benefit for them. That was great. But they thought because of that, they were saved. They followed the law. They're good. We are better than everybody else. We have something everybody else doesn't. Paul says, nope, we're all on the same playing field. And here's the thing. We're not all good. We're all fallen. None is righteous, not even one. So you skip forward. What is needed to be right with God, eternal life, is righteousness, and it's impossible. Good news? But then he goes on, and he's talking about the righteousness in 21 and 22, and this righteousness of God is God's way of making us righteous. So it's a lot of big words here, and so that's why I'm spending some time on this. It's kind of confusing, and that's why we read it in the New Living earlier. But this is God's method of making people right with Him, making people righteous. Because all fall short. But we see here, look back with me at verse 22. The righteousness of God, that is what makes us right with Him, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Does that look like works and law in there? What he's saying is that for us to be right with God, it is faith and belief. That's it. Is anybody relieved that it's not about our good works? <laughs> anybody glad it's not a scale? That would be a horrible life. Not knowing if you're good outweighs your bad, or you do something really bad and you're like, now I got to do something really good. And then when you go to do that really good thing, you know your motives aren't right. And really, we're going to be judged on the motives, and so that's no good anyway. Horrible way to live. It's not about what we do. That's the good news. This week is all about the rescue, and the rescue is about Jesus Christ. Because in verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's saying the same thing he said early in verse 10. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody can do it. I want to give us a little bit of an example. Um, Jennifer, will you help me? You will? Come here. Come right up here. This is Jennifer, everybody. Hey, Jennifer. Jennifer, you're seven, right? How tall do you think you are? But, I have no idea. Yeah, you're about that tall. Okay. So, this hand needs to be touched, and if it's touched, you get this candy. Okay. Can you jump higher? Just try harder. Oh, you almost fell. Try harder. Okay, okay, go sit down. Go sit down. Didn't, didn't work this time. Do you see that that's the picture that we have of religion? Of here's where we need to be to be right with God, and we can try as hard as we want. We can work hard. We can follow different religions. We can, by the way, Protestant, evangelical Christianity, we are as guilty as anybody of make sure you go to church, make sure you go to Bible study, do all the good things, give all this stuff in order to earn. And all those things are good, but not to earn. Those things are good in response. Here we have God up here saying you need to be right. And here's what he talks about in uh, 
Look at verse 24. Let me start in verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Those are some of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. That we are justified. I'm going to read it again. Verse 24. We are justified. That is made right. That is declared not guilty by the judge by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. We're going to talk about some of these words. The first one there is redemption. The word redemption means released by a payment of a ransom. So we know, the Bible is, is clear in, in Romans, that the wages of sin is death. What is a wage? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. We've sinned. What we earn through that, you work an eight-hour day for $10 an hour, your wage is $80 at the end of the day or at the end of the week you get paid. That's your wage, what you deserve. We've all sinned. The wage is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So the wage, it must be paid. So that's why we're talking about this debt that our sin has accrued, that's why this word redemption comes in. In the first century, if someone had a debt they couldn't pay, they would be taken to the slave market and sold as a slave to pay off their debt. That's the scene here of now we are on the slave market because of our sin, a debt we cannot pay. That's like you and I having a debt of, you know, $18 billion. Maybe one of you are close to that, but I'm not. But, you know, $18 billion, you can't come close. And so Jesus comes through, the word redemption means I'm going to buy that one, release by a payment, buying the slave and setting them free. That's the word redemption. So the debt that you owe is real and you owe it, but Jesus already paid it. That's the word redemption. There's another word. It's the word propitiation. That's a big Difficult word, but, but the word propitiation means a sacrifice in place of. So Paul is writing to Jews who knew the sacrificial system. And they had a system where if they sinned, they took a lamb, and they did sin, by the way. They did this every year. They would go to the temple, and they would have to sacrifice a lamb as a propitiation for their sins. They would have to kill it, by the way. On their, the priest didn't kill it. They had to go, and at a young age, imagine being 13 years old, taking this lamb that is your pet, bring it, grabbing it, pulling its head back, and slitting its throat. And then the blood is then sprinkled. That's what they had to do to cover their own sin. You know, why did God put that system in place? If you had to do that every year, what would you walk away thinking? Sin's a big deal, and I shouldn't do that. But the point was that was a, a covering for sin, a propitiation. The lamb died in place of the person. Now, that was just a temporary covering, and he talks about it in this passage. That was just temporary until the final sacrifice would come, which would be Jesus, who paid the debt by being a sacrifice. Does that make sense? So, Jennifer, let's try this again. Come here. My hand needs to be touched, and you can get some candy. Okay. So, can you figure this out? No? Go ask your mom. (laughs) 
Awesome. You did it. You did it. Good job, Jennifer. Yes. You, you, so you, you see the picture. My hand needed to be touched, but Jennifer didn't have to touch it. She got mom to do it. In, in the same way, we have a debt that needs to be paid, but we don't have to pay it. God was willing to pay it for us by sending his son, Jesus Christ. He was the propitiation, the payment, in order to buy our forgiveness. This is in your notes. God's plan from before time began, this was not a surprise to him. He knew he was going to do this was that he would pay our debt for us so that we could be made right with him. And he did this by being a sacrifice for us. But as we look at these verses, this might lead us to say, okay, he died for all, then are all saved? If his sacrifice was good for all, what's our favorite verse? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. He died for the sins of the world, but are all saved. We see here in these verses that that's not the case. Look, look back at verse 22 again. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Skip down, verse 24. And are justified... By His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. So Jesus' sacrifice was good for those before that were doing the lamb sacrifice. Those who were true believers then were also covered by Jesus' sacrifice. That's what He's talking about here. But how is it received? By faith. It is received by faith. What is a, you know, I said we're, we're broken. It's also kind of like we're drowning. What does a drowning person need? They need to be rescued. They need to be saved. But that's, somebody's drowning, and you throw them this life jacket. You know, they're out there flopping, and you throw this to them. What if they decide not to grab it? They're going to go down. They're going to sink. You know, religion is where you keep this here, and you go, swim harder. <laughs> Try harder. Take some swim lessons. They don't have time for that. They need to be rescued, but you throw it out, it must be received by faith. So the person drowning looks at this and says, I think that'll hold me. And they grab it, and they're rescued. That's the same here. Jesus has done everything we need, but we must grab onto it by faith, believing in Jesus. And what is that belief? Romans 10, 9, you don't have to turn there, but you should memorize it. What is it? Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When a person believes in Jesus with faith, they receive the gift of eternal life because they are made right with God. This is what God has done. Now, we look at verse 26, and here it kind of comes together because the question comes to us, why did he do it this way? You know, we ask that. Why would he do it this way? Why would God become a man, Jesus, die on the sins? Why wouldn't he just go, eh, forgiven, dealt with? You know, why would he go through that whole thing? Look at verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's why. 
If you're confused, to, and this is a big part of the story, so make sure you get this. God became a man in Jesus to cover our sins. Why did he have to do that? Because God is both just and justifier. Just, that means that he's fair. God is fair. If you, were, you went to a court hearing and there was a man convicted of murder, you know, a, a jury case, guilty, guilty, guilty. He stands before the judge for sentencing and the judge says, you can go. What would we think about that judge? That's not a good judge. Fire him. Fire him. <laughs> yes, fire that judge. That's a bad judge. Our God, the one who created everything, is a good judge, so he is righteous. He is just, which means he cannot look at sin and go, eh. He looks at sin as an eternal affront to himself and his glory, and he says, the wages is death, and it has to be dealt with. It has to. But it says he's just and justifier. So how our sin is an eternal debt, and that's hard, to, that's hard to describe, but God is an eternal perfect being, and our sin, we're supposed to be in relationship with him, is an eternal debt we cannot pay. So how can this eternal infinite debt be paid by a human? It's impossible. It can only be, pay, it can only be paid by God, by somebody divine, somebody eternal, somebody perfect. But the debt is blood. The debt is death. So how can God die? It's impossible. He's infinite. God cannot die. Why did Jesus come? Why did God take on the form of a man? That's why. Because he is both just and justifier. A debt we couldn't pay, only he could, but he can't pay it because he's infinite. He became a man to die on the cross. That's what we celebrate at Easter. That's what we're celebrating this next week. Uh, Stations of the Cross Friday, you've got to come. You've got to come. I came, it was the first time I ever experienced it last year. You'll come through these two rooms, and there's different stations. You'll walk through the week of Jesus before going to the cross. And it is, it is powerful because you'll experience the things that Jesus experienced. You'll read some passages. You'll have time to reflect. There's no rush. It's at your own pace. You've got to come Friday night and do the Stations of the Cross. You will not leave unimpacted. But that's the story that we're celebrating at Easter and we're remembering is that God is both just and justifier. He requires payment and then he pays it. In, Roman, or in, in uh, the Gospel of John, it begins with uh, John the Baptist. Maybe you've heard of John the Baptist. He came to pave the way for the Savior. And John the Baptist was baptizing people in rivers, baptizing a baptism of repentance, so it's not one for salvation, but he was telling people, turn, repent, and turn to God. And he was doing it until Jesus came. And so Jesus comes walking along, and here's John the Baptist, and he's hanging out with a couple of his disciples, and Jesus comes walking down the road, and John looks at him and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Some of these disciples ended up being Jesus' disciples and following him. But he says, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What would a Jew in the first century think when he said, behold, the Lamb of God? That Jew would go back to them killing that lamb for their own sin. Year after year after year. And so they saw Jesus and they would understand, take away the sins of the world, meaning that that sacrifice is done. We won't have to do that anymore. Meaning it's not about religion. It's about he'll take the sins of the world. Here's that picture. Here's the earth that we live in, tainted by sin, each of us tainted by sin. But behold, the Lamb of God. God sent His Son as the perfect Lamb. In the sacrificial system, the lambs had to be perfect. 
without blemish. They couldn't be sick. They couldn't have a limp. They had to be perfect. That's the picture of what Jesus was going to do. The Lamb of God comes into the earth, and He takes away the sins of the world. Oh, the lamb floats too. <laughs> you see that? You see what the lamb does when it enters the world? Makes it pure again. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now we look at this picture. Sin is gone. It's purified. The water is now clean. Well, it's supposed to be. Let's, let's stir it up a little bit. And we look and, and, and we see this is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. The sin problem was dealt with, meaning there's nothing you have to do anymore. The sin problem was dealt with. But here's the thing. We look around and we go, but, but it's not. I still have sin in my life. We still have pain and suffering. Here's the thing. When Jesus died on the cross, he dealt with the penalty for sin. There's really three, three aspects of sin. There's the penalty meaning eternal life or eternal judgment in hell. He dealt with that on the cross. By faith, we receive Him. We, we have the penalty dealt with. He paid the debt. We have the power of sin, meaning day in and day out. We, if we have by faith accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, we have the power of sin is broken in us. Before we submit to Jesus Christ, it's like a chain tied to our leg, tied to a ball, and that ball is sin, and you can't un- you're chained to sin. Sin is going to be a huge part controlling your life. That's before Jesus. So the Holy Spirit enters your life, and the power of sin is broken, meaning you can walk in a way that glorifies Him as you walk in the Holy Spirit. But the presence of sin is not dealt with yet. The very presence of sin, because we live in these bodies, we still have the presence. So the power is broken. The penalty is taken care of, but we're still going to deal with the presence of sin until Jesus comes back. Till he comes back and he makes it all right. And by the way, that's happening. And that's next week. So next week, you got to hear the end of the story because this isn't the end of the story. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He, everything needed was done. But now we're in this process. And why is he waiting so long? Peter says in, in his epistle, Peter writes, and this is one of Jesus' closest friends. He says that he's waiting so long because he doesn't want any to perish but all to be saved. That's why he's waiting for more to be saved. So if you're here in the room, you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord, maybe He's waiting to come back until you do. And so hurry up, because we want Him to come back. (laughs) But we all have a chance to respond. And so we're leading toward Easter. Normally, this is what we talk about Easter, isn't it? The death and resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus came as a lamb and died on the cross, but three days later, He rose from the dead. Why did He have to rise from the dead? By the way, this is part of the story. And you need to know this story. You can tell it to others. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Because when he rose from the dead, when he died, that was the bruise on his heel from Satan. Satan was behind his death. But when he rose from the dead, that was him crushing the head of Satan. He rose victorious. That was God the Father saying, the payment's accepted. Amen. (laughs) That was him saying, what you just did, I've received it. Good enough. Now come back to life in glory. Gives me chills. That's why the resurrection died, rose. And for us, all we do is we receive it by faith. And if you're in here and you've never done that, do that today. During these last songs, there's going to be somebody to pray here, somebody to pray here. Come and grab them and say, I need life in Jesus. And they'll pray with you. 
If that makes you uncomfortable, then take, take the pamphlet that you got coming in or the one in the clipboard, write in there, I want more information on coming to know Jesus. And put that in the box. Make sure you have your name and number on there so we can call you, and we will. But for those of us that have already done this, we remember. And we go back, and we go back, and we remember what he's done. When a person believes in Jesus with faith, they receive the gift of eternal life because they're made right with God. But that life begins now. It doesn't begin when we, when we die. It doesn't begin when Jesus comes back. That new life begins now. That's the good news. Jesus has done all needed to rescue us. For the rest of the story, you'll have to come next week. Let's worship. Lord Jesus Christ, we are so humbled. We are so grateful for who you are, for what you've done. God, our debt was impossible for us to pay. And when we, when we first recognize our sin and we recognize how guilty we are, we're overwhelmed with guilt. And that's right. But God, then we are filled with joy as we learn that you covered it for us. You dealt with the sin problem. God, I don't fully understand all of it. Jesus, I, I don't think I could have done what, what you did. Um, and so I just say thank you. Thank you for doing what we cannot do. Thank you for living the perfect life that we've never lived so that we could live the eternal life that you deserve. We can't wait to be with you. We can't wait to talk to you face to face. We can't wait to worship you forever, to discover this new heaven and new earth. Holy Spirit, I ask that this morning you would be honored and glorified as we worship now, that our voices of thanksgiving would come to you and you would breathe it in and you would be glorified. That's why we were created, to glorify you. But I also pray if there's any heart in this room that does not yet belong to you, that they would bow the knee to you today, that they would admit their sin, that they would turn and receive the forgiveness, receive the rescue you've already provided. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.